Welcome to Two Therapists Talking. The hope for this podcast is to talk about important issues related to couples and individuals who are struggling in their lives with many different issues. I'm David Thompson, a marriage and family therapist. And I'm Sherry Christensen, marriage and family therapist. Please join us as we explore these issues together, and we hope you will learn and be enlightened along the way. Come find us at twotherapisttalking.com. If you like what you're hearing, please get on and rate us and subscribe to the podcast. Hi, and welcome back to Two Therapists Talking. I'm David. And I'm Sherry. Our last podcast episode was about disclosure. And disclosure is a really important part of establishing some good habits and patterns, reestablishing trust, honesty, and really most couples' processes should include something like disclosure if they haven't. And so we talked a little bit about what that is, and today I want to talk, we're going to go into detail, about lie detector tests what they are, why we might use them, when to use them. Mm -hmm. I personally have been utilizing lie detector tests in the disclosure process for years and years. And it's interesting. I didn't think I would. I didn't start thinking I was going to. I didn't either. The ones that do probably feel the same way. Most therapists don't utilize lie detectors in a couple's process. And I think for me, so when I graduated... I actually started working at a residential boys treatment center before I graduated and they had already established that all of the boys coming in were going to take lie detector tests. Mm. So I learned quick, like what they are, why they would use them. And so we would bring them in because we had to travel far to get it done, but it was actually really helpful in the process. I wasn't blind to how much information was coming because the lie detector was just a part of the program. Yeah. And it was really helpful. Mm -hmm. And so when I started seeing couples and started doing things differently, I naturally just maintained the lie detectors as part of the process. Yeah. And it was interesting because talking to other therapists, nobody else was really doing this. And there was a lot of doubt, and there's really two camps on this, <laughs> utilizing <laughs> lie detectors. There's a lot of therapists that don't think it would be helpful, or mm-hmm. certainly a lot of clients who don't yes. want to. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So you think there's some, I think, some pushback there, and then therapists Definitely. are like, oh, I don't know. And the therapist, you know, I, I understand if they haven't done it before, it would be a little... I, yeah. I'm not sure quite what to do with this. And so, yeah. And, oh, it'll, it'll be okay. Yeah. But I, mean, I just, definitely came in not doing them. Like that wasn't the experience that I had. And I'll tell you what, after being burned a number of times, you know, where, cause you have, you know, spouses kind of rely on you to be able to, you know, say like, okay, we're doing well, we're moving forward, but mm-hmm. But we're not God, right? Like, as therapists, we don't know. Yeah, we don't know. And we can pick up on different cues that maybe the, you know, layperson wouldn't pick up on. But there's there's no way we're going to know, is this all of it? You know, or there is this little piece hanging out, or is right. this bigger piece, you know, but there's all this other stuff that we are disclosing, and 
there's just no way to know that. And I think after being burned a number, a number of times and then having stuff come back and whatnot, just you, you just realize I can't know. Right. And I personally love the process and I'll tell you why. So most of the time when couples come in, what she, let's say he's the addict and she's the person who's been betrayed. Most of the time she will only know information that she's either discovered or in a really difficult situation, he's almost been sort of forced to share. Mm -hmm. And so there's not a lot of confidence that if there's something I don't know going on, I'm actually going to learn about it unless something happens, something big. Yes. And that's not very helpful. Yeah. For a relationship. Yeah. And a lot of times they come in and expect that, okay, we're going to sit down and do some sort of disclosure and that's going to provide it. But how do you know? Right. And that's the argument that I will have with other therapists that are like, well, I don't know. You know, I'll say, well, well, you tell me, how do you really know? Right. Do do you really know? Are you, are you sure? And why does it matter? And Mm -hmm. I love why it matters. And it's not what you think. Maybe. It's both and, I think. (laughs) It's both and. Probably you're thinking, I need this to rebuild trust. And that is accurate. It's not the most important reason for me, which we'll talk about, which I love. But let me just kind of lay out what it typically might look like. And again, this would vary depending on the process and who and what and whatever. But normally what will happen is we agree we're going to do a disclosure process. Nobody's forced here. It doesn't work that way. But let's say we're going to do a disclosure process. Whoever has been withholding information, and sometimes this is both spouses will do this. Yes. And that's okay too. Mm-hmm. But if we feel that information has been withheld, if there's been any sort of minimizing or rationalizing or avoiding or just straight up lying, deceiving, hiding, keeping secrets, then this can be a really good thing. But the person in addiction who has withheld information will do a sexual history. This is a sexual history disclosure. Yes. And the sexual history will ask questions about their history. And it will usually cover the entire lifetime. Mm -hmm. And not because we're trying to get lots of ammunition to beat them up, but it clues us into patterns and habits that start to make sense Mm -hmm. when you look at the context of their entire life. It kind of starts to make sense where... Often what will happen is the wife learns that her husband is more sexualized than she thought he was. She did not know dating, getting married, just how sexualized he was or had become. Mm -hmm. And to be fair, it's not like he really understands that either. So it wasn't like an intentional, oh man, I am so hypersexual and I'm just going to hide this from her. It's just his way of life. It's just... Yeah. He doesn't know it's the any coping better. mechanisms. It's uh-huh. all of that that he's developed in order to do life, and that's just what happens. So it's it's usually both sides are. Yeah. This is oh, oh okay, and it makes sense. And again, that doesn't mean that it doesn't hurt, right? But it does. It helps to create like okay, you make sense. Yeah. This makes sense that this would have happened and this is where we're at and all of that. Yes. Which is helpful. Super helpful. helpful. Super helpful for both to step back and get a different perspective. And for this for the spouse, for that wife, for the 
the person who has been betrayed. It can be the husband as well. It can be very helpful to know, like, this isn't, it helps them to understand, like, this isn't my fault, too. When you see that bigger perspective, mm-hmm. like, this has been going on since they were eight, since they right. were 10, or maybe they were sexually abused, or maybe, like, there's all of these things going on. This is separate from you. Because oftentimes we really see sex as about what's going on between the couple and don't see the outside parts of that. Yeah. Yep. It's a really good insight and how so many of us had an uninvited sexual awakening. Mm-hmm. This wasn't something that we expected, were preparing for, mm-hmm. trying to protect ourselves from. They often just happen and they hit us in the face. And we often can remember in detail how that came about. Yeah. Or the opposite. There's just these faint little things mm-hmm. and but you know that, that that happened. And so going through that and figuring that out is so helpful because that changes you when you have sexual experiences, awakenings that young, it yeah. changes things, it changes. You grow up too fast and mm-hmm. it wasn't your fault. And that's a really hard thing. And then we don't understand the impact. Yeah. The impact is enormous and it affects so many different areas of life that we don't realize as you're just trying to do your life and trying to get through and all of that. Yep. And so one of the great benefits is we're going to see all of this in context Mm -hmm. and it can help hopefully for the spouse who's hearing all of this, not to take it so personally or to internalize it perhaps like they have before, Mm -hmm. because this wasn't really about me. And then you look at, well, this happened at eight and 10 and 12 and then Mm -hmm. pornography and masturbation. And, and you, you begin to see the whole picture of this and hopefully you feel differently about it. It's not the same as it was before. Yes. And not necessarily (laughs) that this is somebody that I want to continue to try to build a life with, but Right. You understand more of where they were coming from. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, you have to make decisions based on the information. And that's really, you know, we mentioned this last time, but disclosure is for information. You deserve the information so that you can make decisions. And having this timeline is really helpful. So that's what it would look like. So they would fill out the sexual history, lots of questions about their entire life. And the spouse who's going to be receiving this information looks through the questions before they're answered just so they know what questions are being asked because... Not the filled out, but like a blank version. Blank version, Mm -hmm. yeah. Before they fill it out, we'll get that information in time. But the blank version, just because we want to include partner questions. And that way the spouse knows what questions are being asked. And then they can ask relevant questions Mm-hmm. And we include that in the history. And I think we've talked about this last time somewhat, but, you know, just to kind of recap that so that they get the chance to ask questions, they get to have, you know, an understanding of, oh, well, what about this one specific time? Mm-hmm. Did this or that happen? Things that they've always wondered about or different things like that. Yeah. And that all becomes the history. We then would do a lie detector test. So before we say that, let's, give listeners an idea how long it usually takes for yes. individuals to complete that sexual history. I think that's an important point. Yeah, that is a good point. You know, a lot of it depends on how motivated they are. 
Often they're very motivated, although not always for the right reasons, but we'll take what we can get. So in my experience, and that's it's, part of the learning process. That's part right? of the learning process. You I mean, can, we'll get you started. You can be wherever and we'll move forward from yep, there. Yep. It will usually take on average two to four weeks. And that's not even because sitting down, writing it out would take very long. In my experience, writing out their sexual history is maybe an hour or two. It's actually not that long. There's a lot of fear of, I've got to remember every little detail. No, you don't have to remember every little detail. For example, when it asks about pornography and masturbation, this is in approximations. And so chunks of time, this isn't like every time you looked at porn, every time you masturbated, that would be unrealistic to remember. Mm -hmm. And you're not going to remember what you don't remember. Right. But if you say you don't remember and you do, that's going to create a problem. So <laughs> you'll take often two to four weeks to do this. And well, and it's, you know, sometimes you're not just going to sit down and do all of that, right? In one right. sitting. It's, you, it's heavy you have stuff. Times here, times here. And I know a lot of my clients, it is. It's really heavy. It brings up a lot. And so you have to have the option to take a little bit of space and breathe sometimes, yeah. maybe reach out to group members that you're attending a group and you're, you're really hopefully doing your best to stay out of shame around it because going back through these details, you're going to be encouraged. Like we're going to come back to over and over and over again in these podcast episodes, the separation of who I am from what I've done. Yes. And this is a history of what you've done, yeah. not a history of who you, you are. are. Yes. And so you're going to have to remember that and keep that perspective. And Behavior there's also, can change. Yeah, go ahead. Attitudes can change. Words mm -hmm. can change. Who you are, though, is good enough and has always been good enough. And mm -hmm. so. Yeah. Yeah. And I also f find that clients a lot of times will get very triggered because they're thinking through all of this. So you need to be able to take space and like, okay, I'm getting really heightened, really triggered by what I'm writing. I need to put it away. I need to take a break. Yeah, I need to point. go get connected with my group or talk to my therapist about how things are going. Cause that very, that's very common to have that come up. It is. And I'm glad Sherry mentioned that. So if you ever, I mean, hopefully there's some tools and if you need to, that would be something that, you know, you can spend some time on. What do I do when I'm triggered? What do mm -hmm. I do if? And maybe there's already been some conversation around that just from an addiction recovery standpoint. But that's a good point. Yeah. You want to be, be aware of that. You don't want to continue to make things much worse. Right. You want to be able to have a, have a break, have a connection, make sure that you're ready for that. And if you need to put it away and talk to your therapist and say, hey, look, this is so triggering for me, you know, that's even something you can even do in the session. And, you know, you can even work on your sexual history in the session. Yep. Process Sometimes we that. have to. Mm -hmm. Sometimes enough time goes by that they aren't doing it for fear of lots of different things, which mm -hmm. I understand this is a hard thing to do. We will just work on it in session and that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. So make sure that you're getting what you need to to create a healthy and safe environment around this so that you're not too triggered. But also if, again, that fear is a big thing and it can feel really scary to go into this much detail. Yeah. You're really, you're really burying your soul. And I mean, this isn't, 
And we'll talk about other types of addictions. There can be a lot of shame around alcohol or drug abuse, but there's a special kind of shame, I think, that comes up around sexual issues. Oh, for sure. And so, you know, understanding that 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 is there and that's a real thing, right? When you're bearing your soul about that, it's it's a different level of bearing your soul. It is. It, It will be the most shaming things in your life. And you will be afraid of rejection around these things more than I think anything else, Mm -hmm. which makes sense. So this idea that if I share these things, then no one is going to want to be with me. She certainly, or he won't want to stay with me. So often what we find is helpful is in the beginning of this process, we try to get something of a, of a commitment from the spouse Mm -hmm. that for 90 days following disclosure, there's not, going to be divorced divorce is off the table and of course you know that's not some contract that you sign but we ask for that commitment because there's likely things you're going to learn that are going to be hard to learn Mm -hmm. but if he or she is not allowed to have some room to move and share and be completely honest and then the 90 days is to demonstrate different attitude different behavior different words Mm -hmm. we'll ask the spouse hey this is really hard Try not to make any decisions. Come into this with your eyes wide open. I'm going to give myself time to process whatever this is Mm -hmm. and to see how they're going to be after the disclosure. Yes. Because if we go back to the way things were and resistance and sort of a pushing back against questions and this sort of thing, well, that's going to be really, really hard. Mm -hmm. And so if possible, we would like a commitment to just hold steady give it 60, 90 days. And that way he will feel a little more confident sharing everything because it's not a guaranteed the next day it's over, (laughs) which is hard. And sometimes, honestly, look, sometimes there is information that comes out that can be that kind of information. It is that significant. Yeah. That does happen. It does. But it's helpful to come into this saying, hey, I'm, I'm really going to give you some time to try to figure this out. Because more important, hopefully, than what you've done is what you're going to do. Mm-hmm. What you're doing now. And that's the time frame that can be helpful. So once the history is complete, we review it just to make sure really that the instructions were followed. Because often there's little things that are missed because your brain is racing when you're filling this out. And you're like, oh, I didn't even see that in the instructions because... You're kind of overwhelmed and flooded, and that's fair. So, mm-hmm. And that's helpful. I I'll oftentimes have clients that come up with maybe new information or whatever that, you know, as we're going through a timeline or whatever, I'm like, oh, wait a minute, there was this, yeah, or, you know, something comes up. So it's helpful to kind of go through that together. Yeah. Yep. Make sure everything is there. Just talking through it can help trigger additional memories or different things that... Definitely. And they often need help going through it saying, so what do I share about this? And how much do I share about that? Mm -hmm. And what kind of detail is helpful and what kind of detail is not? Well, you know, someone in addiction has a tendency to default to no information is the most (laughs) helpful, but there is a middle ground. There is a balance there. And when the spouse has questions, we want to review those questions to make sure they're Mm -hmm. actually good questions. Some questions, again, just aren't very helpful. And so all of that is a part of this process. But once the history is completed, we have the spouse or partner questions and they've been answered. We review all of that together. 
And if it feels ready and everyone's doing this for the right reasons as much as we can, then we will schedule the lie detector. Mm-hmm. And the lie detector or polygraph is just reviewing what's in the history. Mm-hmm. And we, there's different ways to do this. What I've found to be the most effective for me is to do the lie detector before the disclosure. Because yes. if it's passed, then we move forward with disclosure. But if it's failed, yes, then we want to hold off, try again in a month. But in that month time, we're working on what happened and the information and we're working through that. And again, asking the spouse, hey, if they fail, still give them some time as we work through this mm-hmm. because this is really hard stuff. I mean, a lot of information that comes out, they were taking to their graves and yes. it was an absolute, there's no way I will ever share this ever, ever. But that secret weighs them down. It mm-hmm. keeps them sick. And so we're trying to create an environment where they're ready and willing to do that. And sometimes, sometimes it's failed. Yeah. And we'll say, let's keep working on this and, and take a little bit of time. So that way we didn't do the disclosure and then, and then take it's the like, lie detector actually. and it's failed. And we go, okay, so <laughs> what of that wasn't accurate? Yes. Doesn't make a lot of sense to me, although I've seen that done that way before. I like I to do really it this way. I really think you got to do it before where the we do lie it before. detector before. And then it's hard for the spouse because now they have to wait to get the disclosure. But you'd rather do this once and write mm-hmm. than multiple yes. disclosures multiple of disclosures. you can't trust it and which is really hard. And by the way, for the spouse who's waiting for the disclosure, try to give your partner time and space to complete it without asking yes, them or demanding all the information and all the answers while they're doing yes. it. Yes. I'm constantly telling my clients that like, just give them some space, give them the space to do that because they are going to come clean. We're putting it all out there at once. Let's not trickle disclosure this out for forever. You know, clients, the spouses tend to have a really hard time with any type of trickle disclosure. So like, just don't, don't create your own trickle yes. disclosure. Through it's already this. hard enough. Uh-huh. And most people I talk to, if not all would rather a one time everything than bits and pieces. Yeah. And not know what you don't know or what about this part you don't know, or do you give me everything about this? And what which about is, this other stuff? Which is a little different than how it's been going because without right. working towards a disclosure, it has been, well, you need to tell me more about that and more about this. Yes. And you've needed to get that information. Yeah. And it's been really difficult to get mm-hmm. because you have to catch them in the right mood at the right time and maybe yeah. have the right evidence before they're going to share. And we want to put an end to that. Yes. So it makes sense that that's kind of where you've come from, trying to get that information and trying to make sure that you understand what's actually going on because of the deception or the withholding of information or whatever. So this is a process where when we know what's happening, it's like, okay, this is going to be a little different. It's going to feel different and it might feel scary to wait, but it's okay and it's good. It tends to be a better process. Yeah. And we want the spouse who's receiving all of this information. And even if it's not new information, it's overwhelming to have it all at once. Mm -hmm. And so we want the spouse who's receiving all this information to be prepared 
to be prepared to process afterwards, to have somewhere that they're going separate from their spouse. Their spouse is going to take care of the kids and just give you time to process. And sometimes that's staying with a friend, going to a hotel overnight, Mm -hmm. whatever, whatever it takes. And so we want to work with both leading up to this process so that everybody is as ready as they can be. And we have an aftercare plan set up. Mm -hmm. And, you know, beyond that, this work where you stop focusing on trying to get that information at trickle disclosure space is when you stop putting your time and your energy into that and start putting it into yourself and being prepared for the disclosure and getting yourself in a really grounded centered space to receive a lot of hard information that's going to set you up so much better moving forward. It will. It really will. So let's finish this up next time and finish talking about lie detectors, what that process looks like. And so definitely join us for that. And I didn't mean for this to be a cliffhanger. I really didn't, but I'm going to share more in the next episode why I believe the number one reason we would do this and what it does. That's right. We didn't get to that. We We didn't get to that. It's good stuff. Come back next time. Thank you for listening to Two Therapists Talking. We look forward to sharing more conversations with you. Connect with us at twotherapisttalking.com or email podcast at twotherapisttalking.com. If you like what you're hearing, please get on and rate us and subscribe to the podcast.